We are all on a journey. The trouble is, sometimes we just don't actually know where we're going. We get turned around and off track like we're stumbling in the dark. What we all need is a light. We need a God to follow closely and to show us the way. Our light, our God, our teacher is Jesus. We need to follow him. Is Jesus walking around with us? How can he guide us? How can he show us the way? See, following Jesus doesn't have to be that complicated. Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way. Listen, so you got to do better than that because I'm tired. You can't be tired too. One of us has to be awake. So good morning. There we go. Those of you in the venue, good morning. Thanks for being here. We just came through 21 days of prayer. It was incredible. I found myself on day 20 in Lynchburg, Virginia at Liberty University. I have a chance to serve on an advisory board there in the Divinity School, which is all their religion degrees, trying to figure out um, how to leverage liberty uh, for churches like ours that want to educate uh, their, peop- their students and their people and, and how to basically leverage churches to send students from liberty to go live on mission. And when I sat in the room, day 20 of prayer, 8 a.m. Eastern time, 7 a.m. our time, knowing I had an eight-hour meeting ahead of me, I thought, man, I'm so tired. And I said, is there any Diet Coke around? Like, I need some caffeine. And like, no, we don't have any Diet Coke. Like, we have coffee. I don't really drink coffee. Um, but I'm like, like, what do you got? And they're like, we have pumpkin spice latte. And I said, does it have caffeine? And they said, yeah. And I said, give me a cup. And I liked it. Like, <laughs> it's pretty good. Like, I liked it a lot. Like I, might, like, I might go order one this fall at some point and spend some of Danielle's Starbucks money in her Dave Ramsey Starbucks um, envelope. I usually have quick trip money for Diet Coke, but I may hit a pumpkin spice latte um, again. Hey, if you got your Bible, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're hanging out in our Bible study time today. Week two of a series we are calling Jesus People. For those of you, like Pastor Mike said, who have been praying with us, thank you for spending the last three weeks praying with us. We're going to make sure it's a journey that say we prayer walk in the morning and sleepwalk through the afternoon because it's been such an exhausting journey, but such a beneficial journey for so many. And, and one of the things that I think we're learning is like Jesus people pray. Jesus people pray because we love to talk to God. But what else do Jesus people do? That's the whole premise of this series. What are we trying to learn? We're trying to come to the full realization of what it means to be followers of Jesus who live on mission for Jesus. We started last year in October with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We had 31 messages in the Sermon on the Mount. We got to the end of Matthew 7, and we said, we like this guy, Jesus. We like his teaching a lot. We like to follow his teaching. We spent six weeks in Matthew chapter 8, learning that he wasn't just a great teacher, but that he had supernatural power. And we got to the end of Matthew chapter 8 with our faith growing, following this teacher named Jesus. And in Matthew 9, 10, and 11, we're going to see like a day in the life of a follower of Jesus and what they come to realize. Like as Jesus followers followed him over three years, when they got to the end of this three-year period, they knew some things about Jesus that fundamentally shape their life. And that is the goal of this series. We like his teaching. We know his, he's supernatural. What are the things that will happen in us as we follow him that will fundamentally change our life? We're saying we're going to realize nine things that we'll talk about between now and Easter in Matthew 9, 10, and 11. And here's today's big idea. It's realization number two. Our greatest priority is time with Jesus. 
as we follow Jesus as Jesus people, we're going to see the most important thing in life is to spend time with Jesus. We're going to spend the rest of the message unpacking this idea and how we learn about it in Matthew chapter 9. But before we ever dig into Scripture at our church, we always pray. So those of you in the venue, those of you in our room, let's just bow our heads quickly. Let's take that deep breath and prepare our heart to receive. Two prayers. Uh, One, ask God today to just open up your heart. Whatever may be on your heart that would keep you from receiving today, ask God to clean out your heart. Only you know what that is, you and God. And then ask him to speak to you. Father, those are our prayers that you'll take the clutter and the brokenness of life that piles up on our heart. You'll remove it, and then you'll speak right to our soul today. We'll be listening. God, thank you for an incredible 21 days of prayer at Journey. Thank you for helping us get closer to Jesus during that time. We pray that you'll use today's message to help make being close to Jesus our priority every day in life. That's our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 14. Jesus has just finished uh, having dinner at a friend's house named Matthew who wrote the book. So Matthew has inserted his story into Jesus' story, and he said kind of here's what happened next. We'll start in verse 14 go through verse 26 today. So then John's disciples, that's John the Baptist if you're taking notes. John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins are going to burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt down before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples just then. A woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue's leader house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him after the crowd had been put outside He went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all of that region. So every week we'll kind of stack our learning from the week before. Here's what we're learning about being Jesus people. As we do that, we remind ourselves last week of spiritual realization number one. Our greatest need and our greatest purpose are spiritual. Our greatest need is for someone to help us get ready to stand before God because we're broken, but we want to stand before God well one day. And Jesus does that. He forgives our sins so that we can stand clean before God. Last week, we had 48 people at church on Sunday who acknowledged making a spiritual decision that said, I need Jesus to forgive my sins so that one day I can stand before God. If you were one of those, we have at the end of every month that we're starting now, basically a a discipleship class, Christianity 101, that we're calling our best day ever party. 
If you have said yes to Jesus at any point this year or even recently in the past few years and you've had trouble getting started and what does it mean to be a Christian, you need to sign up and come to this class October 31 during the 11 a.m. service. We'll have child care provided for you. It'll just be one hour of basically beginning to walk with Jesus. If you made a spiritual decision last week or you have a friend that did or you have this year at all, come be a part of that class and learn how to walk with Jesus. You can take the connection card in the seat pocket in front of you and just write the words best day ever class on it. Throw it in the box when you leave. If you're a tech person, you can text the number 4747, 47 with two words, Journey Connect, um, and that'll send you that connection card. There's actually a box on there that you can check that says sign me up for the best day ever party. But we want to help you not just stand before Jesus one day in eternity, but live for Jesus now because we also learned our greatest purpose is spiritual. Being called by Jesus to accomplish what he created you for is the most important thing in life. So that was last week's realization. This week's realization I've already given you. Our greatest priority is time with Jesus. As we walk and talk with Jesus as his followers, as we live life as Jesus people, we're going to realize the most important thing in life is spending time with Jesus. And we're going to do that, number one on your outline, as we really begin to see Jesus. Like when we really see Jesus and we see life through Jesus, it changes everything. As we read this text again, I want to give you what I would call some items of note. I think there's five things that you have to know in order to hear the text like Matthew wants you to hear this text. I'm not giving a lot of extra on your sermon notes for you to write down, but these are things that you need to understand. These five things will help you understand this text as we get ready to read it again. The Essene community was a community of kind of religious zealots who'd moved out of Jerusalem to the Qumran Caves, kind of in the Dead Sea region, to live writing scripture and basically protest what they believe was corrupted worship at the temple. John the Baptist was probably part of this community. These were desert dwellers who called out the religious hypocrisy of the day. They believed until the temple was restored that God could not come back to Israel. You need to know who they are. The Pharisees were a group of people who, who were similar in trying to figure out how to get God's rule and reign back to Israel. The Pharisees were a group of religious scholars who were assembled around the time of Ezra, who wrote probably the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Some people think Ezra was the chronicler who wrote First and Second Chronicles as well. When, when Israel was attacked and the temple was torn down, the Jewish people had no way to worship God. So a group of scholars in Babylon said, we will worship by following all of God's command. We don't have the temple. We do have the book. Let's just follow it perfectly. That will have to be good enough for God. And this school of kind of religious leaders came out of that, that that had a real legalistic approach to following God. But the goal was the only way we're going to have the presence of God is to take the Ten Commandments, make them 614, and then follow all of them because what's happening now is not working. These two groups of people would fast every Monday and Thursday to commemorate the fall of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. On Monday, they would fast to commemorate the fall of Jerusalem. On Thursdays, they would fast to commemorate the fall of the temple. Every Monday and Thursday, they were remembering until the temple is here, God's promise can't be here. Until things are restored spiritually, God's presence can't be here. So every Monday and Thursday, they would fast unless they were at a wedding because weddings in the ancient days lasted a a week. Um, Think about that. Dads who have just like paid for weddings, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine five days of wedding reception, seven days of wedding receptions. A wedding fast would normally last a week because people would travel from so far away. And when you were at a wedding, you would not fast because fasting basically represented mourning and it was inappropriate to publicly mourn 
at a gathering that was for celebration. So the Pharisees in the Essene community would fast every Monday and Thursday, unless they were at a wedding. And then at weddings, you don't fast because it would be inappropriate to like bring the whole party down. Now, with that backdrop, I want to read you this text again because it sets up what Jesus is talking about. Then John's disciples, John the Baptist, probably people from the Essene community, people who thought until the temple's restored, God's promises can't be in Israel. John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees, group of people that said we got to follow so strictly, like Jesus' presence won't be here unless we're perfect. So one group says we need the temple, we're going to mourn it because it's gone. The other group says we need perfection, we're going to mourn it until it comes. How is it that we fast often but your disciples don't fast? Jesus answered, how can guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Here is the question they're asking Jesus. How can your disciples not mourn what went spiritually wrong in our past? How can you not be ultra aware and moved by and focused on everything that has gone wrong in our past. What had gone wrong in Israel's past? Well, the promises, the presence, and the kingdom of God had been put on hold or taken away because the land was gone, the temple was gone, and the king were gone. So the Pharisees and the people of Israel said, would say, until it's our land completely, the promises of God aren't fulfilled in this. The Essay community would say, until the presence of God is back in a restored temple, probably God won't be with us. And then all the Israelites were saying, until there's a king back on the throne in Israel, the kingdom of God won't be here. They were saying, how can you not mourn that the promises of God and the presence of God and the people of God and the kingdom of God are not here anymore? How does that not bother you? And Jesus didn't answer the question. We did, but he answered with a question, not an answer. This was rabbinical learning. Rabbis rarely would answer a question. They would always answer questions with questions because they wanted to teach people to think, not just learn. So instead of just giving the answer, they would ask them a question that would make them think because if they could learn to think, then they could learn to answer. So they asked Jesus, how can your disciples not mourn what has been, been going wrong in the past? And Jesus replied, how can you not see what's going spiritually right in your present? They gave him a counter question. How can you not be focused on everything that's gone wrong in the past? And Jesus said, how can you not be focused on everything going right in your present? He said, you're looking the wrong direction. The promises of God were never in the land. They were in the Messiah. I'm here. The presence of God were never in the temple. They were in the Messiah. I'm here. The kingdom of God was never the name on the land. It was the spirit in the heart of the people. I'm going to give that to you like How can you mourn while I am here? I am ushering in the kingdom of God. One group was totally focused on what had been. One group was totally focused on what was coming. You say, how could two groups have two totally different perspectives? Watch this. One of them saw Jesus and it changed everything. You say, how can two people look at the world and one see total brokenness and one see total hope? One of them sees Jesus and Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the difference on your notes between what was and what is. Yes, things were hopelessly broken. Yes, it appears the promises were gone, the presence was gone, the kingdom was gone, but now I am here. And we need to understand all of us has one or one of two spiritual vision frames that we look through every day of our life. And let me tell you what spiritual voice you're listening to based on the vision frame that you look at. 
Satan, every day of your life, wants you to remember who you were before Jesus and what went wrong before Jesus. He wants to trap you in the sin in the morning of your past so you miss Jesus today and what Jesus has for you tomorrow. If when you look at your spiritual life, you can't stop mourning what went went wrong, you are not looking through the vision frame of Jesus. You're looking through the vision frame of the enemy. The enemy always wants you to look back. Jesus always wants you to look forward. Jesus says, I am the difference between what was and what is and what is coming. And I want you to see who you now are in me and what I have called you to do. Jesus doesn't just want us to see our lives today and tomorrow. He wants us to go all the way into eternity and understand when you meet me, everything changes. This was the Apostle Paul's message in Romans chapter 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So the cross is not just the time in the universe when the calendar changed from counting down BC to up AD. It was the cross of Jesus that changed how the world counted time. But it is the cross of Jesus that changes how you and I see our time. Amen? The cross changes everything. Jesus says, I am the thing that moves you from what was to what is because my goal for you is for you to be like me. Yes, I want that. For you to have spiritual family. Yes, I want that. For you to be called to be a part of my mission. Yes, I want that. For you to be justified, which means be able to stand right before God. Yes, I want that. For you to be glorified, meaning one day be with God. We look at what Jesus is offering us in our present for our future. Be like me. Be with my spiritual family. Be a part of my mission. Stand right before God. One day, be with God. And we say, yes, 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 yes. Yes, Jesus, we want all those. And Satan says, but you could never because you were. Mourn that. And don't ever stop mourning what you did. Because if Satan can keep us mourning, he can keep us from celebrating and living on mission spiritually. Jesus says, my disciples are feasting because I'm here. And one day I won't be here. And they'll mourn, but only for a little while. He would say in John 16, very truly, I tell you, you're going to weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That time between the cross and the tomb, you're gonna, the world's going to be excited that I'm gone. And you're going to be really sad that I'm gone. But he said, you're going to grieve, but then your grief is going to turn to joy. Why? Because the tomb followed the cross and the resurrection followed the tomb. Amen. Like, that is good news. So I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to tell you how I heard it in my head. Because when I preached this message yesterday, and I said that phrase, and then I said amen, like, you all said amen. So I'm like, I'm going to rewind it. Now that I've got you prepared, if you don't share expectations, you share frustration. So now you know my expectations. I'm going to say it again. Like, the tomb followed the cross, but the resurrection followed the tomb, and that changes everything. Amen? Amen. See how much more like church that feels? Like that's so much better for me. Thank you. It makes me think that at least you believe the same thing and maybe you're excited about it too. So what is the question being asked here? How can you have so much hope when so much has gone wrong? Here's where the Holy Spirit conviction begins to come into this sermon. Why is the world not asking Christians this question today? Why the week after the election did you not have 10 people ask you this question if your guy lost? Why in the midst of racial tension last summer were your friends not asking you this question? Why in the middle of COVID for you sitting in the venue were your friends not asking you this question when everyone else was freaking out? See, this is Jesus, people. 
This is the realization. Like Jesus people are asked this much, are asked this question. Everything is going wrong, but you have hope. What is the deal? That's the question that Jesus people get asked. And the answer is a good one. We're feasting rather than fasting because Jesus is here. Amen? So good. That's exactly what I was expecting. Thank you. Amen and amen. This begs the question today. For those here, for those of you sitting in the venue right now, if this is Jesus, people, the scripture says it is. Like we're unpacking Jesus saying, this is what it looks like for me and my followers. If this is Jesus, people, why does, why does the world not see us like this? Is it because we're not Jesus people? Are we church people but not Jesus people? Are we heaven people but not heaven on earth people? Like, What is wrong with us that this isn't our story? That has to be a question that we wrestle. If I could give you the answer, I'd give it to you. But that has to be the question. If this is how Jesus people live and this is not me, not maybe that you're not a Christian, but you're not identifying with Jesus and his people. What do you need to do to move spiritually? Because this is the posture. Jesus people don't look back and they don't mourn everything that's going wrong. Jesus people have hope. So he would use this interesting analogy to tell his people, you've got to quit looking backwards. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on old garments for the patch is going to pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people put new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins are going to burst. The wine's going to run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. He told the Essene community, you've got to stop looking at the second temple that exists now and say it's not as good as the first because that one's not even going to be there. It's going to go from bad to worse. Like if your hope is in the temple getting better, temple's leaving. In 2021, if you go visit Israel, in AD 70, the Romans are going to come tear it down. There's going to be a Muslim shrine up there for the next 2,000 years. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You can't cling your hope to something in the past. He said to the Pharisees, you've been waiting for Israel to rule and reign. You're getting ready to get kicked out of the land. And for a period of more than a thousand years, there'll be holy wars and you won't even be able to live in an area called Palestine. They'll send you all to a place called Eastern Europe. And from there, they will put you in furnaces and they will burn you until almost all of you are gone. If you're putting your hope on Israel being back on the map, it's going to go from bad to worse with you. He said, you got to quit looking backwards because the temple's not a building. It's never going to be there. The promise of God is not a place. The presence of God is not a building. The kingdom of God is not a nation. They're all in me. And if you miss that, what you hope in now is actually going to get much, much worse. Jesus people look forward. Jesus people believe the promises of God are here. The presence of God is here. The kingdom of God is here because of Jesus. There would be tares in the land. It would get worse. There would be tears in the temple. It would get worse. There would be tears in the nation. It would get worse. But Jesus would get better. That's the spiritual realization that Jesus' people have. Seeing him and time with him has to be the priority of our life. But not just seeing him, but actually coming into contact with him, number two. Not just seeing Jesus, but actually like living in contact with Jesus. We're going to learn some interesting thing from today's text because as we move through this 
next little section of scripture, we're going to see the power of Jesus' healing ministry. He's going to be the one who allows us to overcome spiritual death and spiritual uncleanness. Those represent two different types of people. In our mission statement, we say that our church exists to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. But when we wrote that, we knew that our church was trying to reach two different types of people who were far from God. One was Christians who had just drifted. You and I both know that there are followers of Jesus who are far from God today. Something has happened in their life, their marriage, their job, their health, their circumstances, and at some point they were really on fire spiritually, and they're, they're pretty far from God right now. But they're like they're a Christian, but they're not walking with Jesus. And then there are those who are like spiritually dead. So you have the spiritually unclean. I'm spiritual, but not spiritually plugged in right now, and, and spiritually dead. I don't even know who Jesus is. Our church exists to reach both groups of people. And I think as our building opens, we're going to have a large opportunity because I don't know that there's ever been a time in Kansas City where there have been this many displaced Christians away from God. Because when the COVID thing happened, I'm telling you, tens of thousands of people in our community, they didn't walk away, but they drifted away. Churches closed their doors for three months, and then it just, it just never hit again. And our opportunity as a church is to go to our displaced Christian friends People we see post verses but never live for Jesus and like be like, hey, like it might be time for you to plug back in to what God is doing. Come, come check out our church. And those of us with spiritually dead friends that we know Jesus is their only hope, as we open this building at Christmas, like we have to be a group of people who said, you know, like, hey, I'd like you to come see my new church. We just built this incredible building with the hope that they meet Jesus and he brings them back to life. And, and let me speak to those of you in the room who are parents, to those of you in the venue who are parents, to those of you watching online, I think probably the greatest danger of this whole displaced Christian thing that's going on are children under the age of 13. Because we got a lot of adults that are like, I'll catch church on the boat, I'll watch church on the sideline, uh, you know, I'll watch church on Wednesday or Thursday, like I'll get mine because I'm an adult. What are your seven and eight and nine and 10 year old kids doing to get theirs? Like you can't be selfish. You can't think I can listen to the message anywhere. Like your kids need Jesus, and they learn about him at church. There's going to be an entire generation of elementary school students who think church is something that you watch, not someplace that you go or something that you're a part of. So like parents, grandparents, especially those of you today who are thinking, I'll just watch online. It's a little, like, you got to get to church. You got to get your kids to church spiritually. It's the only way they'll really know who Jesus is. They have to come into contact with him. That's what we're going to learn. Jesus is talking about giving spiritual life. And as he's talking about giving spiritual life, he meets death. While he was saying all this about, I'm the promises, I'm the presence, I'm the kingdom, the synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But if you will come and put your hand on her, she will live. See what he's saying? If my kid just comes into contact with Jesus, I believe things can change. Like, if I can just get my kid to come into contact with Jesus, I believe things can change. As he gets up to go raise the dead, he finds himself healing the broken. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only, what's the word here? Okay, so in my head, when I was preparing this sermon, like you all answered that question. So we'll go back and do it like I thought it this week. Just then a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch. See what's happening here? A dad is saying, 
If Jesus will touch my daughter, everything will change. And a broken woman is saying, if I can only touch Jesus, everything will change. Both of them are saying, if I can just touch him. If I come into contact with Jesus or Jesus comes into contact with me, if I come into contact with Jesus or Jesus comes into contact with somebody close to me, if I can just come into contact with Jesus, he'll change everything. In the Gospel of Mark, we learn that this little girl who's died is 12 years old. So you have these ladies, one of them young, one of them old, who've been on this exact same journey for 12 years. One of them a life that will end in death. One of them a life that has been broken because of basically an uncleanness because she had had a period every day for 12 years is what was happening here in Scripture. And that would keep her from being out in public because Jewish custom of the day was you had to stay home because they really weren't sure medically what that did or if it was contagious in any way. So you had one person who was dead physically, one person who felt dead spiritually, and both of them, the minute, the minute they touched Jesus or Jesus touched them, everything changed. When they came into contact with him, everything changed. Which makes us have to ask this question as Jesus people. If making contact with Jesus changes everything, why is that not our priority? Like if coming into contact with Jesus changes everything, why is that not our priority? Jesus people constantly think about him touching me, me touching him, living in contact with Jesus, that changes everything. As we look at how the Jewish system of connecting to God worked, and we overlay that as followers of Jesus, I think there are some things that can help us prioritize Jesus. I think daily time can help us prioritize Jesus. I think a day of the week reserved can help us prioritize Jesus. Direction from God revealed in his word can help us prioritize Jesus. Dependence on God for hope can help us prioritize Jesus. When we look at the Jewish system of sacrifice, this daily time with God, they had three times daily, three daily times of prayer. One at the morning sacrifice, 9 a.m., one at the evening sacrifice, 6 p.m., and one at 3 p.m. It's interesting. The one in the morning was gratitude for the new day. The one in the afternoon was confession because all of us by 3 o'clock probably need to say, God, sorry about something that I did between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., like especially that, that law after lunch and however you treated the person who came in your office at 2.30, it's like, okay, sorry, um, I'll do better. And then 6 p.m. in Israel was the start of the new day. They had evening and morning. So as the sun went down, they would begin their new day, and it would be praying God's blessing over their new day. Three times a day, they were like, if we don't keep bringing God into our life, like we'll just drift away completely. So they had this daily time with God. They had a day of the week reserved for God. In Israel today, it remains the Sabbath, what they call the Shabbat. But there was a day that was reserved from when the sun went down on Friday to when the sun went down on Saturday. That day was only reserved for God, family, and spiritual family. Worshiping God and being with the people that he gave you to live life with and to live life with spiritually. There was this direction from God revealed in his word. God, what do we do today? God, what should we be moving towards in 10 years? God's word is going to give us direction in that. And then there was dependence on God for hope that the world, when I look around the world, it looks broken and it makes me want to mourn. But when I look in God's word, it gives me hope. And what's sad is God's, God's promises are greater than our circumstances, but only if we know them. And if we don't know them, we have no hope because honestly, we haven't prioritized time with Jesus. We don't spend time with him every day. We only set aside a day of the week if there's not a game that our kids are playing in or if there's not a Chiefs game at noon or if there's not a golf tournament we've been invited to or if it's not a nice enough day to go on the lake. Like, we only prioritize time with Jesus if our real priorities aren't happening that day. 
We never really sit down and study this, so we don't know, God, what you want us to do today or where I should be headed 10 years from now. And God, when everything is broken, people aren't asking me why I have hope when the whole world is mourning because I don't have hope because I've not studied your promises enough to know it. Christian Gracia, our church planning resident who pastors at our church on Friday morning at 21 Days of Prayer, talked about how the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, is our weapon to fight the brokenness of the world. And he had this big sword... And then he had a little what I call shank. It was like a one-inch little blade. And he said the problem with most Christians is they, they, they don't have a sword of the Spirit. They have a shank of the Spirit. They have like one verse. They have like a butter knife. And like Satan f- fights with them and they're like, get, get away. Like they pull out their little shank and they're like, get away because they don't know the promises of God. They don't know the scripture of God. They don't know the plan of God because they don't spend daily time with God, weekly time with God. They're not looking into God's word for direct. They just don't know even the hope that they have. So Paul would tell Timothy, you got to remind people of the hope, the reason for the hope that you have. But you do that by learning the scriptures that make you wise for salvation. Here's the sad thing. If we don't do this, if we don't prioritize time with Jesus, unfortunately, we're going to become professional mourners. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm going to show you how it happened in Jesus' day, and then I'm going to show you how it happens in our day, and I don't know that anyone in this room is going to disagree with me on this point. If we do not learn to prioritize time with Jesus, we're going to drift into becoming professional mourners. Let's go back 2,000 years. And then let's talk about this week. And I think, you, I think you'll agree with me. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. This was a crowd of professional mourners who had been hired to tell the village someone died. They would exist in every village in Israel because in the Middle East, up until today, if you die, they try to bury you by sundown. Just very, very quick. So in every village, they had to have people who made a big deal of death. They would have to round up the flute players and, and the pipe players, and they would have to say, hey, come, come and let the whole town know someone has died. And so we, we celebrate the death. We mourn the death in such a way that everyone knows it's happening. Professional mourners paid to come in and basically spread the bad news. This chapter begins with like spiritual mourning. Hey, why are you not fasting? It ends with profession, like a culture of professional mourning. We hire people to let everyone know the bad news that has happened. You know that our culture still does that. Any of you see the testimony of the former Facebook executive this week before Congress who said, we know, we know and we knew at Instagram that Instagram was causing young teenage girls to have body image, self-esteem, eating disorders, and a higher rate of suicide. We know that. But it makes so much money that we're not going to change the algorithms. Like, we know that. But that's what sells. They said, we know on Facebook that the most negative, critical articles get clicked on the most. So our algorithms push those out because we know that bad news sells. Now, this is where you could say shame on Facebook, but where I would say shame on us. We are clicking. They're just marketing. We have become a generation of professional mourners. Go back and look at you and your friends' posts the last year. Good news or bad news? Like, we have become a culture. We've become a generation of professional mourners. Not only do we have bad news, 
We need everyone to know the bad news. Everyone has got to know the bad news. We've become a generation of professional mourners. And if we were only as concerned about the good news as the bad news, life might change. Because this week, that same social media platform crashed for six hours. Some of you were aware of it because you almost lost your mind. And I'm sorry, it (laughs) happened for your sake. For six hours earlier in the week, couldn't get on Facebook, couldn't get on Twitter, couldn't get on Instagram, and people lost their minds. We're professional mourners. Because if somebody would have said to you on Monday this week, hey, you can't pray for six hours, would you have lost your mind? If it was impossible for you to read your Bible for six hours on Monday, would you have lost your mind? I think the answer for most of us is probably no. No, I mean, take Facebook away for a day and that impacts my soul. Because I'm a professional mourner. Take Jesus away for a day, we'll catch up with him on the back end. Like, you see how far we've drifted from the original Jesus people? I'm trying to, but like not very many people in this service say amen a whole lot. But thank you. Those of you in the venue, God has sent one person to help me preach this message in this main auditorium. Like you see how, do you, do you see how different we are from them? You see, I want to change your world. Listen, friends, the Roman culture was about the American culture times 100 when it came to sin. And Christianity turned it upside down. But it wasn't with people like us. It was with people like them. And if we can become Jesus people, see, the thing that allows us to go from professional mourners to hope carriers is Jesus. And if we can become people who focus on and connect to and have contact with Jesus, it changes everything. The world won't like it, but it really doesn't matter. See, here's the irony of like this whole thing. Our hope in Jesus is going to bring life to us and laughter from others at the exact same time. Jesus says, she's not, she's not dead, go outside. They'll laugh at him. But Jesus said like, their laughter didn't concern him because he was on mission. And it's interesting that Jesus said, my followers are like people at a wedding. Because in Revelation 21, like if you go read the second to last chapter of this book, The end of the world is presented as God's people being presented to Jesus as he is the bridegroom and they are the bride walking down the aisle. That's like, that's the picture of the relationship. Jesus is the groom. His church is the bride and we're coming towards him. I've I've had the honor because I'm a pastor of doing hundreds and hundreds of weddings. And I always get to stand on the stage with the groom and watch the bride walk down. And the bride is saying two things. One of them that everyone hears. The other one that most people don't hear, but it's true at the exact same time. As those doors swing open and she starts walking down the aisle, she is telling everyone in the room, I choose him. I choose him. And at the exact same time, she is telling everyone else in the room, that means I reject you. Every young single man in the room, by having her choose the groom, is knowing that they're they're not number one in her life. And that is Christianity. When we choose Jesus... We're telling the crowd, I don't choose you. I choose him. I choose him. I choose him. And if you try to get between me and him, then I reject you. I choose him. And I reject everyone else. When I was younger, growing up in traditional churches, we used to sing a song, say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No, no turning back. 
No turning back. The cross behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. Like, I've got a new direction in life. I got a new guy in life. I'm a Jesus person now. The world will laugh at you. The world will criticize you. The world may cancel you. But we are Jesus people. And we find life in Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Lives connected to Jesus. Hope in Jesus. If that was you and it's not you, come back. If you've never even heard it, but you need it, come to Jesus. His arms are always open. What's God said to your heart today? What do you need to do about that? Would you pray with me as we consider those questions? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room and in the venue. Our greatest priority is time with Jesus. Seeing him, touching him through prayer, being touched by him through his word and through his ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus who has not prioritized him, scripture would say confess, which means admit that, and then repent, which means change that. Confess, God, I admit you have not been my priority. And then repent, I will change that. It's going to look different for every one of you, but if God is speaking to your heart today, confess, repent, admit, change. Admit and change. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the message you need to hear today is he loves you. He lived for you and he died on a cross so you could be raised from a spiritual death. You say, I feel like that 12-year-old little girl, I feel like I'm dead spiritually. One touch from Jesus can make you alive, but you have to open up your heart. You have to invite him to forgive your past. You have to invite him to direct your future. You have to surrender to him. If you've never done that, you can do that today here and in our venue. Just open up your heart to heaven. You don't have to pray out loud. Pray something like this, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my past. Heal me of my brokenness. Lead me into my future. Today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to lean in and believe it. Today by faith, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you, Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me here and or in our venue in just a second, I'll give you an opportunity to let you know how you can tell us so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources for your new walk with Jesus. See him and touch him every day. Christians in the room, what has God said to you today? Jesus, people, have a hope that the rest of the world does not have. We are not professional mourners. We do not broadcast the bad news. We do not celebrate the negative. We focus on Jesus. We touch Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We have life because of Jesus. And people see in Jesus' people a hope that they are looking for. And if we live well enough, they might even see the reason behind our hope, Jesus. What has God said to you today? And how can you live as a first-generation Jesus person in the current generation of Christianity? The world needs it, but you've got to surrender to it. God, help us to be Jesus people who see you, who focus on our present and our future, who have hope in the midst of brokenness, and who live to be touched by you or to touch you because it changes everything. That's our prayer. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name today. And everyone said... Amen.